Well, welcome. Uh, good to see you all this morning. We're a little bit light on, perhaps because of the wedding yesterday. Some crazy loons decided that you know, Christmas time is a good time to have two parties instead of one. Uh, and so we were packed out yesterday with the uh, um, the West's wedding. Uh, so Ken and Melinda decided they were having family Christmas today since they had gathered everyone together. So I guess half the church were that. So anyway... <laughs> Let me pray. I'm Joe. For those who are visiting, we're really glad you're here uh, and have you have a great morning with us. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, please encourage us now. Uh, for those who are struggling, we ask that uh, your gospel would bring uh, hope and light. For those who are doing really well, we pray that uh, it might be a great encouragement to look again to you, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Amen. I don't know if you've ever wanted to just cancel Christmas. Anyone ever felt like that? You're just like, I've had enough. I'm done. You want to cancel it right now? Which is funny because they, they have this thing called the Mary Mayfield Christmas every year where they invite everyone they know to come and hang out at their place at any time during that whole block of time. And so they're about to have about 4,000 people descend on their house. And you want to cancel? Yeah, you better do it quick, you know, because we're planning to be there. <laughs> Anyone else feel like calling it off ever? You're just like, oh, I'm done. Uh, I mean, if you're anything like me, each year gets harder and harder. Uh, there are more and more nephews and nieces and just godchildren and, and other kids at church and you're like, oh, do I need to buy presents for them too? I don't know. Uh, my own children are getting steadily older uh, and with that their tastes are changing in presents and getting more expensive. Uh, you know, They used to be happy with just a box wrapped up in paper and they could play with that for hours. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> uh, the shops are crowded, uh, it's hot and we're all bothered or the weather suddenly changes and it's cold and we're wearing jumpers to church in the middle of summer. Uh, you know, uh, you know uh, we've got uh, family spreads out and you've got further and further to travel and you know, you're going to upset someone because you can't be at their place or they didn't get invited or whatever. Uh, and it all just well, makes me tired and cranky. I don't know what it does for you. Uh, and we get to the end of the year and sometimes Christmas, well, we're just not feeling it. And this year, though, it's not just those normal busy kind of factors that means I'm not feeling it. Uh, for me, I'm just worn out. I'm worn out by the sadnesses of this year. Uh, it's been a tough year for our family. Uh, it's been a tough year for our church. Uh, personally, my father-in-law, Alison's dad, uh, died in January earlier than expected, uh, and that's cast a shadow over the whole year. Um, Alison's work didn't turn out as expected. Uh, it was more difficult. Um, but then church-wise, uh, we lost a number of uh, dear brothers or sisters in Christ this year, uh, Marta, Elaine, Barbara. Uh, each of them died very quickly from unexpected and aggressive cancers in the middle of the year, uh, two weeks apart from each other. Uh, there's been a number of difficult pastoral issues that many of us are aware of that we've had to deal with and some that we're unaware of and I've, you know, I've known about them and, and been sort of dealing with people. In the last couple of weeks we had the shocking news of Brian's conviction. Uh, then just this week uh, we've had... Um, uh, uh, one member who's been caught up with kind of a big issue at work where, where a baby has died and that's been really painful. Uh, there's been uh, someone who's a fringe member um, uh, book herself into a mental hospital for suicide uh, th thoughts. Uh, on Friday we had the funeral of Jeanette Clay, 
the school nurse at William Carey School, uh, who was well loved. Uh, she was the minister's wife from Eagle Vale, the last minister, uh, and things. Uh, uh, we had Sasha put down yesterday, uh, our dog. Uh, I sprained my ankle on Thursday night at soccer. And then there was the West Wedding yesterday. That was actually pretty good. <laughs> uh, but I've got a headache this morning. <laughs> uh, now, it's not like there haven't been joys over the year and, and highlights. It's, in many ways, there's been terrific things happen in ministry and in life, but the sadnesses have all cast their long shadow over everything else. And maybe if I had to pick up uh, a word to sum up the year, which I think many people from our church have experienced, it would be sobering. It's been a sobering year, incredibly sobering year. Uh, but because it's so sobering, it makes it really hard to get into the frame of mind that our society expects us to have at Christmas. You know, the kind of the jolliness, the frivolity, the tinsel, and yay, kind of, oh, yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> The sobering realities of life just keep getting in the way. In fact, they make the whole way that our nation carries on with trees and Santa and jingle bells and alcohol-fueled shenanigans all just seem so empty and trite. And and that's at best. At worst, it's just sheer godless hedonism. But so, so jolly as it drives its merry way down the broad way that leads to destruction. It's all bells and whistles that distract from what really matters, all designed to just anaesthetise us from all the bleakness, to block out the fact that this world is fleeting, uh, to forget that we live in what the Bible calls this veil of tears, this valley of weeping. And yet it's also very strange that we do get so distracted from the truth and try to block out the reality of Christmas time, because the very reason to celebrate, the, the reason that Christmas time is so important and so wonderful and it's worth making a huge party for in the first place is because it was to deal with these very sobering realities of this world and this life that Christmas even exists. It was to save us from this valley of tears that Jesus Christ came. And when you do pause and reflect on that fact uh, when you stop and just take a breath and think it through. It's absolutely stunning. And it should lead us to awe. It should lead us to praise. It should leave us, lead us in, our, in the face of our sadnesses even to joy. Joy by which I do not mean the hedonistic abandonment of this world which just ignores the realities, but the true joy that God can and has dealt with these realities in Jesus Christ. And I just want to take a few moments just to reflect with you on this stunning fact from this very familiar passage in Matthew chapter 1, the Christmas story, familiar story about a man who's engaged but then turns out his girlfriend's pregnant and he's not the father. Uh, you know, you think you have stress. <laughs> um, but the, I don't want to tease out all the details of Mary and Joseph's relationship and the difficulties there at this point in their lives. I, I just want to focus on, on the two names that their child will be given. Uh, and while you may walk away from here this morning feeling all Christmassy inside with tinsel in your heart, <laughs> you know, I do want you to walk away stunned. Stunned and cheered by the awesome power and kindness of our God for us. 
And I pray that in doing so that your heart might be turned away from putting your, your hope and dreams in the fleeting things of this world, uh, which is perishing, and place them in, squarely in this child born to save us, whose law is love, whose kingdom is peace, and in whom this weary world and this weary soul uh, can have the true thrill of hope as the hymn goes. Two names he's given. Name number one, people will call him Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means, what does it mean? God with us, God with us. It's more of a title than a name as such, but that's what they will call him. Isaiah promised it hundreds of years beforehand. That will be the sign that God is good for his word, that there will be a child from a virgin and he'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. And Matthew tells us that's exactly who this baby is. Uh, verse 22, all this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, Jesus isn't just a messenger from God. He's not another teacher or a prophet, another wise man. Jesus is able to make God known because Jesus is God in human flesh. We celebrate Christmas because God was born as a man that he might live among us. Uh, you know the words of Hark the Herald Angel, Hark the Herald Angel sings, uh, Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He is truly God with us. That's what the word Emmanuel means. Uh, but he's truly man as well. God with us as a human being with man to dwell. Now that means that we can know God. We, we can know him, we can know what he's like. We don't have to guess, we don't have to make it up, and we, do, we don't have to believe ridiculous fantasies of our own creation. We can know God because he turned up here on this earth. What he's actually like, what, what he's actually on about, what he actually does. He promised that he would come and then he turned up. Uh, people have their ideas about God. Everyone's got their ideas about God, whether, whether God's there or not, uh, about whether he's a he or a she, or whether there's multiple gods and goddesses, whether there's just some great cosmic force that you can reach out and touch, you know, whether there's a rational mind at all behind this universe. And all sorts of people and all sorts of groups and all sorts of nations have come up with this answer or that answer, and then there's the completely ludicrous view of many in our of our contemporaries, which is, well, it really doesn't matter. You know, there's only what's true for you. You know, you have your God, I'll have mine, and yeah, it's it's, it's beautiful, and we can all be in harmony. We all actually believe the same thing. Well, no, we don't. <laughs> but you know what? All of it is just sheer speculation until you come face to face with God yourself, or until He comes face to face with you. Now, the Bible tells us that we will all come face to face with God in our death, at which point it will too, be too late to do anything about it if that turns out to be a problem. But God has come. He has, in fact, been here face to face with us, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We can know the truth about God. We can know God. And the, that's the incredible thing that this tiny little section of this very familiar story teaches us. God turned up. Uh, the first half of the chapter is all about Jesus' human lineage. Uh, but this little section is about his divine lineage. 
Now, many people around, this happens every time of year, uh, uh, every year at this time, will poo-poo you know, the virgin birth. How can a virgin have a baby? We know how things really work, right? Even if it wasn't Joseph, it was someone else, right? You know, uh, God could not possibly have done that. It would be impossible for God to make Mary pregnant. For the atheist, uh, it's the whole problem of miracles in a nutshell, uh, that supernatural things like this just don't occur and they can't occur because, well, I haven't experienced them. I haven't seen it with my own eyes. But for the Muslims, uh, the problem is something entirely different. For them, it would defile the perfect nature of God if he were to set foot in this world. It would defile God, and so he couldn't possibly do it. So this is an abomination. To the atheists, I say, well, your limitations of the truth of history to just what you can see or feel or touch is just ludicrously limiting and hopeless. And, you know, if God is God, then he can do what he thumping well pleases, right? He, yeah, it's, it's nothing for him to get Mary pregnant. And maybe just consider how strange it is that what you defy God to his face that he's unable to do, that we as humans now have the power to do, make a virgin pregnant. With our human intelligence through IVF, you know, why is it okay in thinking we mere weak and limited mortals can do something wonderful despite our smallness, but you're not okay with the infinite powerful creator of the universe being able to do the very same thing? Why would it be impossible for him when it's entirely possible for us to do? To the Muslims, I say it's precisely because this world is evil that he came. See, God didn't turn up because he was lonely. He didn't turn up because he's like, what's going on, didn't he? Got to go and find out. Yeah, let's figure it out. Yeah, he didn't come down because he wanted to get out for a bit. You know, his doctor didn't order him to go for a little constitutional. He thought, eh, that'll be all right. You know? uh, nothing like that. And Matthew tells us exactly why God came to be with us. And it's all tied up with the other name that this child is given. God says to Jesus' parents, to Mary and Joseph, you are to name him Jesus, or in Hebrew, Joshua. Why? part of the problem of having foreign names that not translated. <laughs> you call him Jesus, Joshua, because he will save his people from their sins. That's because the name Jesus means God saves. Name him God saves because he's going to save his people from their sins. That's why he came. And that's the incredible reason for joy. He was born to save us from our sins. See, it's no trivial thing that we do what we like in relation to God and just make up stuff. It's not a matter of harmless indifference, what we make of God or what we make up about him. All the stuff you hear on TV and magazines about how we as humans really deep down are all spiritual and, and we want to find God and know the truth, it's just bull. <laughs> the Bible teaches and we all uh, that, that in our hearts and our minds we all say we, we really don't want to know the true God. We don't want you. Uh, we, you know, that would just be too confronting. We don't care that he made us. We don't want to know about the true God who is there. We, we just want things our own way. And the reason that people, groups, tribes and nations, including our own, have made up the views we have about God is to avoid the reality. 
not to know the reality. We want to domesticate the spiritual realm so that the God or the gods become servants of us and we can just get on and do what we like. We want manageable, controllable spirituality, whether it's in the ritualism of Roman Catholicism or Islam or whether it's you know where you can just say, tick, done my duty, got to be happy with me. Uh, or whether it's in the utter hopelessness of atheism where there is no accountability at all, or whether it's the sheer moral and intellectual gutlessness of the agnostics, uh, which refuses to take responsibility for making any real decision, whatever form it takes, it all comes from a nature that has been warped, that has been distorted by sin and which has led to the great evils that we suffer and why this is a veil of tears. The Bible puts it this way. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And the result of that is we just live how we want we don't care who or what God truly is. We end up living our own foolish fantasies, which are all going to come crashing down in the end, for we all die, putting an end to our rebellion and bringing us to the judgment. But God has come. And he's not just come so we can know him, and we can truly know him, but he has come to save us from all that, to save us from our foolishness, to save us from our stubbornness, to save us from our sin, our substituting our own idea of God for the truth, to save us from the results of all that, all those consequences, to save us from sin and godlessness, death and judgment, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what he came to do, to deal with our treason, which is what sin is when it all boils down to one element. But he... He came not to destroy us for our treason, but to save us from it. And the way that he did it was in a way that no human mind could ever come up with, a way that was formed in the mind of God. The only way it could be, a way that would be uh, completely fair and just, that would deal rightly with punishment and the wrath of God, but in a way that could also bring about his complete love and mercy and take us out of harm's way. He said, how is it that God can be completely just and also be completely loving? Every made-up religion has an answer to that question, one way or the other, and they will always lean one way or the other because they can't marry the two because it's impossible. The only way is in Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross where the justice of God and the anger of God is poured out on human sin. But in his love and mercy, it was poured out on himself. Dying for us, that was the only way he could save us from our sins. Any other way would fail. For to, give with, to forgive without the punishment of death would be to fail to treat our treason as treason. Our sin would mean nothing. God can't just sweep it under the carpet. I mean, what do you say to the victim of a crime, the victim of a murder, uh, the family of a murder victim or, or the Holocaust survivor, if God's just going to go, eh, it doesn't matter, I'm going to just leave everything unpunished. 
No, God's got to be righteous and deal righteously with us. We are responsible human beings and God treats us as responsible. And if that was all, if he just left us facing that responsibility, we'd all be condemned. We'd die in our sins, in our treason. And so God, in order to love us and to appease his just wrath, came to us to die. The greatest gift of all. A straight swap, him for you, him for me. God pays. It's astonishing. And that means that even after the toughest of years, and I know some of you have had far tougher years than I've had. I've just had to watch, you know, be with you through it. Um, And some of you haven't had as tough a year, that's fine. But even in the darkest of circumstances, even if everything is falling apart at the moment, Christmas is a wonderful thing to celebrate. It might not be in the same old tinselly kind of way with froth and bubbles, but it can be, in fact, it must be if we're to honour God in a way where we stop and meditate on and reflect on the beauty, the wonder, the, the awesomeness that God should come to us and to save us. We don't have to cancel Christmas. I'm really glad God didn't didn't cancel Christmas. Uh, We'd be in trouble then. So we just need to celebrate in the right way. You know, in joy and awe and in sober reflection. And so while in this world we will remain in this veil of tears, for those who trust him, whose sins are forgiven, who are now his children, we are faced with the hope and joy that it will soon be past. And we cry out to God through our tears in joyful expectation that he would bring his son back again to end this frail existence and to bring in the bliss that he has promised to his repentant and faithful people. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Or in the words of the hymn we're about to sing, come O Lord Emmanuel.